0: Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey. This is High Performance, the podcast that reminds you it's within. Your ambition, your purpose, your story are all there. We just help unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, I allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to one of the most impressive footballers in the Premier League.
1: So this guy can be your teacher. Today, this awaits you. Everything to get to that point. Dreams, hard work, dedication, sacrifice, failure. Everything that went along with that, to get to that moment, made it even better, really. Jürgen's really impressive. The impact he had within the first couple of days in that game was crazy. Like the stats, the running stats, the intensity watching the game was was off the charts, really. Now I know an, a manager can have an impact. But this impact for me was was another level, really. I can't really control anything else other than I need to make sure that I perform and give absolutely everything to try to save his life, really, and try to make him recover as best he can. I didn't want other people worrying. You know, I didn't want my best friend, my wife, my mum and dad to worry about me struggling because of football. You know, there's much bigger things going on in the world. But for me, Football was, was everything. So welcome to high performance, Jordan Henderson. Like, I think
0: first of all, let's give Jordan and the team around him huge credit for allowing him to come on this podcast and share things that you just don't hear elite footballers talking about, particularly at a time when Liverpool have been struggling for form. I think it's so easy to not put your head above the parapet, to not talk about all of the nuances and the vagaries and the things in sport that we don't see. Um, when your team are struggling. So for Jordan to come on this podcast and be willing and happy to talk about life at Liverpool, I can't thank him enough. I think it's a measure of the man. But you know what? please, understand that this is not a conversation about football Um, we're going to talk to Jordan about his upbringing we're going to talk to him about the serious struggles that he had mentally when he was at Liverpool and he was getting criticism and he was struggling for form and for fitness Um, we talk about personal relationships we talk about families we talk about love we also talk about leadership he is fascinating on what Jurgen Klopp is like in the good times and in the bad and this isn't for you to learn more about being a football manager or a footballer, or a teammate in a football team, this is about you learning more about life, leading your people, standing alongside your colleagues and your friends and your family, and also pushing through the difficult and dark times. This is not a conversation that you hear footballers having, but I really believe you should. I think that everyone in football should talk more. I believe that we would understand our players more. We'd understand our managers more. Owners. I would love to get owners of Premier League teams on this podcast because they've got a story to share and we see so little of their story. We jump to conclusions and that's why there's such a disconnect, I think, at the moment between fans and owners of football teams. So if you're the owner of a Premier League side and you're listening to this, get in touch. We'd love to invite you onto the podcast. But right now, it's a real pleasure to invite the captain of one of my favourite football teams onto High Performance, um, a group of incredible fans at a club with a remarkable history who've done stunning things, especially over the last few years, with this man as captain and Jurgen Klopp as manager. So how's it happened and what's really gone on when the cameras aren't rolling? Let's find out in today's High Performance Podcast.
1: Well, welcome first of all. Thank you very Thank much you. for doing this. Oh, what is high performance in your eyes? For me, it's being dedicated to everything you do, really around for me, football. Obviously training, um, going in every day, working as hard as you possibly can, doing the things at the training ground, but I'd say high performance links in off the training ground when you go home, what you're doing, and it's pretty much every single day around the clock for me, football, 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 just constantly trying to think of ways to improve, to get better, to recover for the next game with the amount of games we've got, thinking about other people, other players to try and help them and, and what I could do better to help. So just constant trying to, to, to beat, to improve all the time. So it's relentless, right? Relentless. Yeah. It's a good word. And where does that come from, do you think? I'd say for me personally, it's part of my character in terms of, I just love playing football and I, I always have since I was a kid. Football's been everything. I've started playing um, for Sunderland Academy when I was about six, seven. And since since then, I've just loved playing football, dedicated my life to football. So I
0: want to go right back to the beginning, if possible. Um, your new book's brilliant, by the way. Um, and early in it, you you talk about your parents' divorce and the challenges that that had on you as a as a young person and how it's kind of not just shaped you as a f- husband and as a, f- as a parent, but as a person as well. So what sort of daily behaviours, or what do you carry now that you think was maybe shaped by the,
1: the experience you had of your parents breaking up at quite a young age? In the book, when I speak about me mum and dad's divorce, it was a big thing for me. I was only around six-year-old, so it was like, my world had turned upside down, a bit, old, a bit different if you were older and the way you think. But when I was six, that was pretty traumatic for me as a kid and an only child with my mom and dad. So it was a tough period. Um, and that looking back, that sort of period shaped the way I was in terms of I was, I was quite shy and quiet, but I'd always have some sort of anger or self-belief to try to prove me worth and prove people wrong experiences like that definitely then shape you for for when you get older
3: because looking at some of those characteristics that you display today jordan like the ability to bring disparate groups of people together the ability to smooth over difficult patches look like some of the characteristics that maybe in your book you describe you learn as a as a the only child of divorced parents would you recognize that yourself
1: not at the time definitely not and not probably until i started Writing the book. You know, I think when I one of the good things about doing the book, even though I was a bit unsure at first, was after it. I would say I was a lot more self aware of myself and how I think and how, what I do things. And I think, really, was I that bothered about that situation that much? And but at the time, it was a really big thing. And looking back, affected us quite a lot, even though I was really, really young and I could only remember certain things. That's only one instance, but over the course of my life, I think there's been a few different things that have helped grow helped me grow as a person and shape us as a person really
3: would you give us an example of one
1: when my dad took ill that was a probably a big one in terms of putting everything in perspective life in general again football is is everything to me and always has been but when something like that happens at really roxshire and everything changes um and it's how you deal and cope with situations like that that really make you stronger really
0: for people that are listening to this that don't know the story of your dad and what happened. Would you mind sharing with us what happened to your dad and how you came to find out and what happened afterwards?
1: Basically, it was the season, 2013-14 season, which actually that year came close to winning the league. Um, but it was halfway through that season uh, where my dad took ill with throat cancer. He literally come down to the house, told me and my wife that he'd been taken ill. He had to go through surgery and chemotherapy and everything and from that moment it sort of changed everything for me i just had a, a little girl as well who's my eldest now but everything gets put into perspective you know is my eldest gonna grow up without knowing who my dad or her granddad was things like that coming into your head so difficult period in my life but actually looking back was probably a a sliding doors moment of a change for me personally and for us as a team on the pitch, probably the opposite in terms of where would where we were, where we were going, and then in the end came so close to, to winning the league. So on the pitch was, was going really well, but off the pitch it was a really difficult period in my life.
0: Would you mind sharing with people who are going through maybe similar, it might not be a an ill parent, but they've got challenges and they still have to perform, whether it's as a parent or in their career? How did you turn the trauma of finding out that the person who'd been with you every single step on your football journey was as ill as your dad was? You know, this is a serious illness. How did you then manage to
1: walk out on a football field and play well, walk into training and lead the players? How? The way my dad was, he didn't want us to see him. So he, he knew he was going to look ill. He was going to be in bed and in hospital after surgery, chemo, he wasn't going to look great. So he didn't want to see us. The only way to make him better, he said, was by uh, the only time I'm going to see you is, is on the telly playing. And the thing that will help us get through it the most is if you're playing well and performing well and the team doing well. So that's quite a lot of pressure to think I need to play well so my da- dad can sort of get better. But that's me, that was my me mentality at the time. You know, It was like I can't really control anything else other than I need to make sure that I perform and give absolutely everything to try to save his life, really, and try to make him recover as best he can. That's what I try and try to do. Um, were and you it, thinking about him during games? Like Definitely before games, um, as we're walking out and things like that, which was, again, I just wanted the game to start because when I wasn't in the game, I would be thinking. So before games, if I was in the tunnel and stuff, just before going out, I'd be thinking about it. But as soon as the game went on, I sort of just got lost in the game, concentrate on on that, and then again after the game, we won quite a lot at that period, so I was pretty happy and happy that he would be able to see us us winning and, and me playing well. So it was it was a big moment in my career, really. It made us stronger as a person. Um, I was became a man in that in that period, I would say, and um, and that really helped on the football pitch.
3: I'm intrigued at how you harnessed that emotion of thinking about your dad, say like in the dressing room before a big game where it's an emotional environment anyway, how did you keep yourself on the right side of it, using it as a catalyst or a fuel for you to go and deliver a man of the match performance, as opposed to feeling overwhelmed by it, whether it's the responsibility or just the sheer bleakness of your dad's situation at the time. I think
1: there was a part of us that was angry and, the sort of the unfairness of it, you know, how can this happen to my dad really and and not knowing what was going to happen was, was difficult. So again, I couldn't really control anything other than what I'd done on the pitch. I was just looking forward to getting on the pitch every time, you know, I, when I went home, I would be thinking about it straight after games, I would be thinking about it. So like, I didn't want to be thinking about it all the time because it just like put us maybe like in a bit down and thinking about it all the time. So. I wanted to be on the pitch so I didn't have to think about it and I could just concentrate on doing what I needed to do. That was probably my first season or breakthrough season as a player where I think people really thought, yeah, he's he's a Liverpool player. Not long after that, he um, recovered really well and, and got the all clear. So in the end, it worked out pretty well. And I know for some or a lot of people, it doesn't work out like that. So very lucky that and very fortunate that it did. It's a really interesting topic of conversation, this, isn't it? Because
0: we speak often on the podcast about there are things that are hard for you, but they're not necessarily bad for you. And actually, this would have been a really hard period for you, but you could argue it wasn't bad for you. It taught you about emotion. It taught you that there's a strength in there that perhaps you didn't know was there until you went through
1: this. Definitely. And and let us say, I'm fortunate that in the end, my dad was well and, and that helps. But yeah, you sort of learn a lot about yourself in difficult moments. And in my life, that was a really difficult period. But it showed us that I was strong and could get through it and um, basically perform for him to to try to save his life was the way I was thinking. And, and in the end, I think it helped him, for sure, when he was watching the games. And like I say, we're winning basically every week at that point. So he was over the moon. But when we are talking about tipping over the edge, there was one game I can remember, Fulham away, where... Um, Brendan Rodgers was the manager at the time and we got to the point where I think it was in January, February where in December we'd lost a couple of games back to back so it sort of put us out of the title race but then after that we'd sort of won every game so we got to the point where we were sort of on the chase um, a little bit and we were performing really well so Brendan used to before games, he used to get a, a letter from, a, from one of the lads' family members to say basically speak about them and the team and it was really good actually to bring the togetherness and use that sort of emotion and use people around us to try to help us perform and get over the line to to basically win the league in the end but I can remember Fulham away um, it was my turn so obviously I didn't know the players that happened there didn't know there was some really tough stories and tough letters in there but obviously at this period I was quite emotional anyway. My dad um, had written a letter to to Brendan, and Brendan read it out in front of everyone, and before we head off to the stadium and play. Um, and obviously, my dad was just saying how proud he was of the team, and me, and it's making them really it's hard though at the time. Making isn't it? them really strong, like watching it, and like I'm like sitting there like in bits, really. Yeah. I'm thinking, of, just stop reading. Let's is this is in the hotel. This is in the hotel before we go, and I'm like. And then went and played the game, and actually I probably got i got too emotional off off that you know what made us too didn't really perform particularly well, done okay, but not to the level that I probably was the the game or the few weeks before that we ended up winning i think I think Stevie got a last minute winner in the end, so we ended up winning the game, which was which was great, but I can remember that was the only game where I probably got the emotion, probably got the better of as mm-hmm. I would say.
3: See, it's interesting you recount that, because when we sat down with Stephen Gerrard, we asked him about the letters and whether it almost over-arouses you, you know, because that game against Chelsea where he slipped was the one where his letter had been read out. And we spoke about whether it can be really powerful, especially for others listening, but whether for you as an individual, it just does tip you over that edge of emotion.
1: I think when it's really raw like that for me, it was really raw, it was still happening. So yeah it was it's it, it probably in that situation for me personally don't get us wrong I still played and played the game but probably just wasn't at the same level as 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 I, as I had been but yeah. yeah I think for everybody else like when I was listening to other people's letters like it made me feel like more together and more everyone were like a family sort of thing we're all trying to do it for each other and each other's family and it was a really good thing but I know what you're saying when it's you And especially when it's that raw, it can be quite difficult.
3: You've made a couple of comments about you learned a lot about yourself during that period and you felt like you became a man was the phrase you used. I'm interested about what you learned about opening up and communicating because, again, if I I read about the very much before and after of your dad's illness, before it, you had this view of, I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm going to keep this all bottled up, this is private but it was your dad that went and opened the floodgates when he came into the club and told Brendan Rogers about his illness cause he knew you wouldn't do it. Would you tell us what you learned about communicating better or being more open with your emotions and how that has helped you?
1: I'd say I'm still, still working a lot on that, but it is a lot better. I would say when I was younger, I'd find it hard because I just feel as though I didn't want to burden other people really with my problems or whatever was happening in my life, I know everybody's got their own problems. So I didn't, in this instance, I didn't want to go in and burden other people with with my issue, but also for them to think or treat us any differently. But when I was younger, I would say I would be quite, quite introvert in terms of, I wouldn't want to tell anybody. I think maybe because you'd seen your parents go through that
0: tricky divorce, You didn't feel in a position to go to them with more problems. You were like,
1: there was an issue in this family and you
0: were an only child. Where, where do you go?
1: Yeah, I suppose, you know, when you're looking at like that, like when I was the only child and mum and dad, when you go way back, like I had to deal with that on my own, really. I was only what, six, seven. I was quite young. The person that I probably would go to would be me nana, which was me, me dad's mum. So she was the only one I would probably open up to if anybody. And did you open up to her much? At the, around the time of divorce, I would be with her a lot. Yeah. A lot. Um, she was the one I would go to, steer hers, speak to, and, and always be with. I can remember that. And then I was really close to her growing up, up until the point she, yeah, she passed away. So when she died, it was a big thing for me because I lost the person that I probably confided in the most. But when, I, when we're going back to why wouldn't I open up, I just felt as though I didn't want to burden other people. I'd say when I was in a pretty dark place was when maybe I'd just moved to, to Liverpool, wasn't performing to the levels I was probably expected to. Talks about as leaving Liverpool, I'd worked so hard to get there, I'd only been there a year. Criticism, a lot of that comes with that. People wanting you to, to, to get, get you out of the club, to leave, you know, social media, we all know how how hard that can be, so... There was a period when I was young, around 21, 22, and i just signed for Liverpool. I'd be first season, didn't go particularly well. So that was a tough period for me, met, like mentally, to get through. And I just wanted to, to get through it on my own. Like, I probably didn't even open up to my wife, which looking back, I don't know how she stayed with us, to be yeah. honest. I don't know why she just didn't so get on So, what the would you like to live with at that point then? that's what i mean horrendous probably yeah i don't know how she didn't get up in the car and drive to Sunderland and and left i just i don't didn't know because i basically put everything into training you know do extra training um do extra gym work come home late go and watch the telly like in in a dark so doing
0: everything you can just to not be thinking about the fact that
1: you yeah. A, yeah, you just keeping trying to keep busy, really. Just trying to and try to improve and prove people wrong to get to where I needed to get to by just doing extra work, extra training.
3: But can you recognise now that what you considered to be selfless of not wanting to burden other people could be perceived by those close to you as being quite selfish in many ways because you're not letting them in, you're not allowing the people that love you and care for you to be able to offer solutions.
1: Definitely. Hundred percent must have been difficult for my wife, definitely, at that period. Again, me not opening up to her and she's having to basically go through, and like you're saying, probably thinks I'm being selfish. Probably my best friend, who I went to school with since, well, since we we're two, three in nursery, probably thinks selfish. You know, why didn't you come to me? You know, I'm always here for you. But I didn't want other people worrying. You know, didn't want my best friend, my wife, my mum and dad to worry about me struggling because of football. You know, there's much bigger things going on in the world, but for me, football was was everything. Especially when I was twenty-one, twenty, I didn't have children. You know, football was that was it. That was my everything. Obviously, when I've had kids, yeah, again, changes a lot, and everything's about them. But. That period in time, football, football, football was the biggest thing in my life and um, it wasn't going particularly well so I I, I, I suffered a lot. What I found in the end that was really useful was speaking to somebody who wasn't going to judge and didn't really know us that well. So that person for me was probably Steve Peters who, again, around the time of my dad getting ill, us challenging for the league, Steve Peters come in, Brendan brought him in, who's a sport, well, a psychiatrist, psychiatrist who had worked in different fields cycling being one when Steve came in I was at a point where I, I felt well I haven't really got much to lose and actually maybe I, I do because it was very Steve come in and speak to everyone and say listen my door's open if anybody needs to just chat about anything whether it's football whether it's not obviously it doesn't, never gets back to the manager or can't because of his profession and everything sort of um, personal between Was them. there a, talking
0: about that manager
1: thing, was there a thought in the back of your mind that
0: I don't want people to see a perceived weakness here, I don't want the manager to think there's
1: an issue? Definitely, definitely. And I think for players that is a big thing. You'd never want the manager to think you're not in a great place because you're not a player, really. Mentally, if you're not in the right place, then he's got to think about winning games and performance. And But Steve made it very clear that even if he wanted to tell the manager, he couldn't because that's with like, like a doctor, really, you know, if you speak to them, they, they can't tell anyone else. So I really felt that that was genuine and that you could speak to him and it, nobody else would, would ever know. Um, See, it was
3: interesting because we, we met Sir Chris Hoy on the podcast where Steve had worked at Cycling. cycling and yeah, he described to us how, you'd almost be seen as unusual if you didn't go and speak to the psychiatrist rather right. than what you're describing as the other way of you're, like, you're worried about going and the perception of being seen by him.
1: Well, sort of, yeah. You wouldn't want people to know because I suppose they'd think, was oh, is, is, is there an issue? Has he got something? But Brendan brought him in for a reason to help him. There you go. You know, so at the same time, you know, he wanted, I suppose, the players to speak. But you do fear that actually players or the manager think mm, something's not quite right or but I would say by when I when I did open up and I did speak to Steve that was massive for me because so it was that period where everything changed really it is amazing isn't it
0: how just sometimes having a conversation yeah. you sort of I don't know you almost feel like a light's been turned on or something yeah don't you? You yeah out it's thinking, crazy yeah, yeah how yeah. is it it made me feel like that and I, look, I think this is a really important part of this podcast episode, because I still think that there's this feeling that a lot of people walk around with the same feeling you have, which is I'm struggling. And it might not be a huge struggle. It might only be a small struggle, but I'm struggling and I don't want to burden anyone else with this. Yeah. But the truth is we all know that when it comes to, you know, working on your mental health, the only person that can do the work is you, right? But you should not do the work on your own. You know, you need allies. You need people to stand alongside you. You need to be guided and shown where to go before you can before you can do that work and as you know a lot of footballers listen to this podcast so i think we'd love them to hear you talking like this but also we have a huge swath of young men that listen to this podcast and so many of them will feel that same feeling you had which is i tell you my problems i'm burdening you and i would love them to hear you sort of talk about how enlightened you've been. Actually, that isn't what it does to people. You know, if you now go to your wife tonight and say, I've got a bit of an issue, is she going to feel burdened or is she going to say thanks for telling me? Yeah, yeah. Because it makes our life so much better together. Yeah. You were already burdening your wife by being silent yeah, and yeah, not yeah. being at home, going yeah. in the gym. You know, you were burdening other people.
1: Yeah. Without knowing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then actually I was quite lucky that Steve just come along, you know, cause I wasn't looking for it. I'm very lucky with the career that I've had. And that was a, a really big moment for me, a lucky moment that he just stumbled across and it really made it a, a massive difference.
0: And I really want to talk about the positive stuff here, by the way, like I want to talk about building culture, winning titles, what Jürgen's done for you, what Brendan did for you. But, but I think before we move on, there, we've got a really unique opportunity just to have a brief conversation about the scrutiny on footballers and the conversation around footballers and the impact it has on them. And, you know, whether it is you arriving at Liverpool and questions that, you know, made you go and seek a conversation with someone and put you into a really dark place, or whether it's, you know, much more recently a teammate of yours, Trent Alexander-Arnold, all that noise around a guy who was in his early 20s on a big stage, doing his best. I'd love just to give you a platform to kind of open up to us about what it's actually like, the impact it does have on people. We had Danny Cipriani say to us recently, he doesn't believe that footballers in this country are free to express themselves and play in the way that they could because of scrutiny, because of pressure, because of thinking what what will the impact be? You know, like there's no freedom anymore because there's so much opinion surrounding people. Does that ring true?
1: Yeah, I, I, I suppose in, in a certain way. Footballers get a lot of criticism for for a lot of different things. And actually, in the teams that I've played in, 99% of them have been top, top people. You know, great people. People that do a lot for other people. People that do go above and beyond for, for everybody else, treat staff well, do a lot for charities outside of football that people won't even know about. And I haven't really come across anybody that I would say, that I didn't really get along with. Yes, you have arguments. Yes, you have fights, and 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 things like that. But when I look back, I, as as a person, I would always see good in them. Really, there's never, there's not one player I would see. I look back at and think mm, I hate him. I would, wouldn't even want to speak to him. Wouldn't even want to. And then you see the not one you know, vile you coming their way on
0: social media. Would you tell us for people that think it's just a throwaway tweet? Or a little comment that they don't see.
1: Like what is the truth? I impact? think it does have an impact. I think yeah. social media is has grew since throughout my career, really. I would say at the start of my career, social media wasn't really that big and it's grew and grew and grew and grew. Now, there's a lot of positives in social media as as we all know, but I think it can have a negative impact on players. You could say, Well, just sort of don't go on social media. But somehow it always seems to, to find you. I would say, as as a player, especially at, at the top level, I would say, you know, somehow, whether it's your friend seeing, have you seen this, and why is he seeing that, You know, trying to protect you, but it's coming to you that way, or maybe in in the news, or when you're doing interviews and you're getting asked questions, and it's like, all oh, right, so so it'll always find a way to, so you know. What sort of being said whether that's the fans or the outside world and if it's a tough period and a tough time it is so difficult for players especially young players to deal with you know a lot of people say well that's sort of part and parcel of football and footballers get well paid and that comes with the territory you've got to sort of deal with it but suppose when you're a young kid you don't really think about money or you don't think about like being a superstar or people looking up to you really just think about playing football you know as a kid you just want to be a footballer because you love playing football and you look up to the people that are playing at that time so to then get to that stage and have to deal with that Mm. it can be pretty tough and I think as well you look at ex-players that have played the game and know what it's like to then in the media, see some of the stuff that they do see, I find that even more difficult to to accept really that I know that they probably wouldn't accept when they were playing and wouldn't think it was fair when they were playing but they come out of that and all of a sudden they use other people for them to be a platform for them, not really thinking about the impact that it's having on players now.
3: So would you tell us, Jordan, Like we interviewed Grant Hanley before the Euros last year and he was talking about Uh, he described himself as being unapologetically old school. And one of the things that (laughs) he struggled with was coming in the dressing room and seeing his teammates, the younger ones, going on social media to almost determine what the view of their performance was rather than (laughs) looking around the dressing room and going, ask for feedback from the people in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go in like the Liverpool dressing room after a defeat or a setback, do you see teammates to, be, on to social be
1: fair media? <laughs> to be fair there's a lot of lads go on the phone now whether or not they're going on social media to see whether the fans have said they've had a good performance or not I don't know but it is a lot more more by phone orientated after you're going in the dressing room now we we try to get the music on and ex- especially when you win you yeah. want to celebrate you're winning the game that's what you that's what you're playing you want to win so get the music on, try and celebrate it. But of course, it's not long before people are on the phones.
0: I think your self-worth though is wrapped up in the, and I think it's easy for people to say, oh, just ignore it or don't go on there. I, I work with former players who, as soon as there's an ad break, you phone. look over, not only on the phone, they're typing their name into Twitter oh, God. to see what people, what the comments are. are th- yeah. And I, and I, I actually have a slightly different viewpoint to you where you're like, oh, I couldn't even imagine doing that. Like, I know that my bosses see it, and I know that football fans at home see it, and I know that the pundits that I'm working with see it. And my opinion actually is if, well, if they're all seeing it, I'd like to know what's being said. Now, I really struggle with it. It's the biggest source of my own, like, not mental health struggles, but my stress. It's the biggest source of stress in my life. It's just whatever I do, since. I've been a football presenter. It happened less when I did Formula One and other stuff. But again, social media was different then, right? So I think it's not, it's just because it's grown in the time I've worked, but that you do your best, you get in the car to go home and it's just pelters. And you're thinking, you've got no idea like yeah. what is involved in making a TV show. So there was a yeah. reason why I did this or did that or said this or said that. It gets taken out of context entirely. Yeah. But then you then have people on Twitter going, can you explain that please? And you think, I'm not here. The place to explain to you why I did that, and I might not get things right all the time, is absolutely not on Twitter. The place to do that is if you really care. Like, call, find a number, send an email address. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's not dissimilar for you that people are making a judgment on your performances or your teammates' performances with 5% of the knowledge of what is going on. Ring a bell?
1: 100%, yeah. 100%. And I mean, it's sort of... Easier for me now to deal with because I've more experienced and you know I've gone through that stage. But when you're a young player and you're coming into that, honestly, it must be so so difficult to to deal with when you're maybe not playing as well as you can, or the team's not performing too well. And when you're at at the level that that we're at, it's it can be it can be really difficult. And you see when you're watching players play, you can see the confidence has gone and they're not quite. The same and, and all of that, all that negativity mustn't mustn't help at all. So if I, I would say if if it got to a point where you felt as though social media or other people's comments were starting to affect you, come off social media. What else do you do to put your arm around those players that are struggling? I try and help a lot in terms of the younger players. Not only me, you know, there's a lot of great leaders within our team, great experienced players that'll help the younger lads come in and, and feel comfortable within the dressing room and feel like they can go and express themselves and do what they, they're here to do, really, and, and, and perform. But also that set standards that the young lads come in and they know what's expected to play for Liverpool and to be in this dressing room. So we've got a great balance of that, and I think that comes with you know, you've know got to recognise, actually, when somebody is struggling, you need to try and help them in, in the best way you can. Um, and and of it, everyone's different so you've got to approach it in different ways but I try my best to to sense when I think somebody needs a bit of help.
3: There's so much stuff that I want to ask you that I find fascinating around you. Some of it is paradoxes that, that really intrigue me around your story, Jordan. I think one of them just in relation to this conversation here is around, we talk about social media and that comparison culture of being caught up in what, like, what do they say? What do they think of me? And at the start of your book, it's really intriguing opening where you say you can't compare me to Graham Sooners, you can't compare me to Tommy Smith, you can't compare me to Phil Thompson, uh, and you list all these great captains of Liverpool, where you almost go out of your way to avoid the comparison to say I'm not, I'm not in their league, and I think. I get, having met you, the selflessness of not wanting to be seen as being big-headed or trying to put yourself in that category. So I'm interested in terms of that, that sense of self that you have, that integrity, that self-confidence, without getting dragged into that comparison culture that you seem to avoid. I'm just interested in how you consciously do that.
1: Looking back again, when I was doing, doing the book, there's definitely your self-belief, definitely. I'm probably just not one that likes to talk about it.
3: I said to you, my favourite story in the book is <laughs> when Roy Keane comes in.
1: Yeah. When yeah, you're, yeah <laughs> we're all sitting in there.
3: Like, tell us that story because <laughs> I love the fact that, like you say, you're a shy kid, you you don't make a fuss, you've got a reputation, you beat that horrible term, you're busy because you're staying yeah. behind doing extras, your dad's helping you with it. And then Roy Keane comes in. Tell us the story because I think people
1: would yeah. love that. So, we had a game, um, it, was a friend, it was a friendly game, uh, Sunderland, um, under 21s or 23s at the time, uh, away to Gateshead, which isn't far, um, half an hour or so from Sunderland. Um, so we had a game at Gateshead, wasn't great at all, didn't play very well as a team. Um, I think I don't even think Roy went to the game, I think it was his staff that went to the game, and really bad day, let's put it that way getting the coach back to the training ground from, from Gateshead and while we we're on the coach, um, our coach has come to us and said, everybody's got to go into the training ground when we get there because the gaffer's coming in, Roy, to, to see us. Well, Everyone's face just went white. Um, Remind
0: us how old you are at the time.
1: Must have been 18 and we all go into the training ground and we're sort of waiting in this room and, um, <laughs> and Roy comes in and says, well, basically like sort of scattered around the room and he sort of starts off with something like along the lines of, he said, this f- sums you lot up, f***ing here and there, f- get together. And like, literally he just goes like around everyone individually, like around, like, I think somebody had just signed and said like, we've just paid whatever for you and who the f- do you think you are and. Blah, 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 going round and talking about like the game, not good enough, and basically went round and it was was heated. And I'm just standing there, like thinking, if he comes to me, I'm just was just dripping with sweat. But um, anyway, he gets to me and sort of just like looks at us and says, Do you think you could play in the first team? And just me respond, I don't know how or why, I mean, response was just like, Yeah. And he went, Good. Because the, Staff said you the only one that was running around, or something along them lines, and then he moved on, and I'm like, <laughs> thank God for that. I can relax a little bit now. But it was intense, you know. And and I suppose in that moment, I, I didn't know why. I, you know, normally I would, I would maybe have, but I was self belief. Just yeah, I yeah. Do. Because
3: you describe yourself as being lucky, but like that definition of lucky is when opportunity meets preparation, and that to me in the story was. That's your opportunity, but you but you back yourself, and that's the bit that really stood out for me
1: yeah I would always I would always back myself but I was I would always back myself inside I'd never really seen the point of coming out and backing myself and speaking and talking and telling people about backing myself. I never really felt that was felt what, why i will just sort of do me talking on the pitch it's so how tell us seen.
3: how you develop that then because I'm interested in the stuff that goes on so if I'm a coach at Sunderland, I'm seeing this really quiet lad that's coming in and just getting on with the job and you're running around even, <laughs> you're not being dragged down to the level of what everybody else seems to be descending to. What is it you've done that people listening to this could go, I want to have that quiet resolve, that inner steel to be able to stand up. So what were the kind of techniques and tips that you could pass on to build that sense of confidence to back yourself?
1: Honest, honestly, looking back, to certain things I I actually don't know, is the honest answer, like I just did it. And the only thing I can probably think of is I felt as though I was always the one that people never backed, I was always the one that was maybe second best or people never thought I'd make it, they always thought somebody else, like one of my friends would make it because he was better. or. If it was like Player of the Year, yeah, I'd, I'd maybe win, it, but joint with somebody else when I was really young. So I, I always felt people would would never wanna, would never back me. That I suppose then brought like an, an anger inside. So when I played, I sort of let that anger go, and I still now I'm quite emotional when I play, and and I was like that when I was a kid. You know, I was so emotional when I played because I used all of that negativity and that anger from people doubting us when I was younger to when I was on the pitch. I just I just used that as me fuel really, yeah, to to just really prove people wrong. I'd say the Champions League trophy was the moment for me personally. I just felt as though that was everything that I was striving for. You know, looking back, watching Champions League games at my house or my friend's house. Um Went to a Champions League final with my dad at Old Trafford when I was about thirteen. So around that time, to then finally win it after losing the final the year before it was just like just an out of body experience. Really, when it happened, it was just an incredible feeling, and I just felt like everything that had worked for me entire life was for that moment. So today's episode
0: is brought to you by WHOOP. Now, if you don't already know, WHOOP is a fitness wearable and companion app that specialises in breaking down your recovery, your sleep, and your workouts. Now I've been using Whoop for well over a year now, and what I love is playing around with it. So I can take different multivitamins, change my sleep, change what I eat, change the way I train, and then see the genuine impact it has on my body. So every morning when you wake up, the app has analysed your sleep, along with other key heart rate metrics from the previous night. And based on that, it gives you a daily recovery score from 0 to 100%. So actually today, I'm on 83%, which is rare for me. But what that means is that my body is ready to take on the day. It's kind of like a coach on your wrist. Because if today it had said 26%, I know not to go for it in the gym. But the fact that I'm up in the 80s means I know I can push myself based on my recovery. And you know what? It's also worth talking about what Whoop doesn't do. It's not going to ding on your wrist when you get a text. It's not going to call you an Uber. It doesn't tell you the time. What it does, though, track every single heartbeat throughout your day and break down all that data for you so you can understand everything you need to know about your body. I promise you, for me, it's been a game changer. Start tracking your health, wellness and fitness at a deeper level today. Go to join.whoop.com forward slash HPP to get started and get your first month for free. Under Jurgen Klopp. When he first arrived at the football club, when did you get the sense that this is someone that could bring something special and what happened to
1: make you think that? Honestly, the first day. I know it's easy to say that now, but I think if even the fans, you know, you look back to his first press conference, I think straight away everybody was, was in and knew we were on a journey here. But for us it was the same. What in the first meeting first time I met him the aura the presence the just everything about him um really was this it just just felt special obviously had a bit of background before he come at Dortmund I can remember seeing I think the story in the book about when we went for Cara's leave and do and went to watch Dortmund play Madrid um in the Bernabeu and um I think it was the semi-final, so they ended up qualifying that night for the final to to get in the Champions League. But the way they played, you know, Dortmund, the players, like the way it was incredible to watch, um, and I really felt like watching it. That that really suited my game and the way that I played football. And when Jurgen came to Liverpool, I was I was I was quite excited that actually I feel as though this could really benefit and suit me in the way I play football. At the beginning, it didn't turn out like that because I was injured, I'd just been made captain not long before, um, new manager coming in, you want to impress, you want to be there, especially as captain, so um, I had a, a foot issue which was, was really difficult, again injury, we talk about mental health, but for professional athlete, injury is probably one of the hardest periods to go through and I had one of them when when Jürgen first came. So it was really difficult for the first six months, or the first. Wait, well, I think he took over in like September, October time. So that first season when he come in was was difficult for me. Um, but the impact he had on the team from the from the word Goal was incredible. You know, on the end of that season, I think we got to a Carabao Cup final, lost on penalties, and we got to the Europa League final and lost against Seville. So you could see we were going in the right direction, and it probably wasn't until after that season when our really then was fit and playing pretty much every game.
3: And can you remember what he said or did in, on, in those first couple of weeks that made you sit up and realise that you were at the start of something special?
1: <sighs> Everything. I mean, from the first meeting and he was speaking to us as a group, just how clear he was, the un- the understanding, his, his presence. He just felt as though like everybody was just like, locked on you know isn't that always um, the way that with a new manager
0: because all of your hopes and dreams as a footballer are wrapped up in this person as well
1: yes but he was but Jürgen's really impressive I think as a person if you was speaking here he's just so charismatic and just a really impressive person when you meet him really very self-confident and that came across to the players straight away. And I think the first game I can remember I was injured, but I went to, I went down to watch against Spurs and the impact he had within the first couple of days in that game was crazy. Like the stats, the running stats, the intensity watching the game was was off the charts really. Now I know an Im- a manager can have an impact, but this impact for me was, was another level really. So uh, training sessions, you know, I couldn't train. So I'd sort of be watching from the balcony at Melwood or I'd go outside and, and try and watch training just to get a feel of what it was like and it was just like completely different of anything I'd ever seen before. Like what? Just the sessions that were put on. Um it was just like, wow, this is this is just totally different of anything I've ever done. And so sort of to watch it was harder not so to doing? actually be do doing you remember
0: it. Anything you got you do and you're thinking or not you but you're injured but the lads and you're thinking, what
1: is there was what is this? There was I suppose a lot of it was was the intensity level of everything, you know, was, was through the roof and a lot of it was making you think about the next situation quickly without, without having time to dwell or anything like that. So whether that would be like a shooting session rather than the shooting sessions that I'd done in the past would be you maybe played in, someone set you, finish, getting a queue or whatever and you do little sets and finishing and you work on it after training. But, even with a shooting session or something as basic as that became this sort of you'd be passing then you'd be receiving one straight away then you'd have a shot but then the cross would be coming in and you're just constantly having to think about so so the first time that you do it it can be a bit of a bit, bit of carnage really there's balls <laughs> flying everywhere and they'll be pulling their hair out going what, what you're not getting you know and it takes a little bit of time or once or twice to go through it to get the hang of it but once you once you get going, you're sort of watching it and this just happening so quickly. Um, and how challenging it was, so good was it for you that you were injured when he came? Because
0: suddenly all these lads have got the chance to impress this new manager and you're thinking, hold on a minute. I, you only get one chance to make a good first impression.
1: Yeah, that was that was really tough. Yeah, Really tough. Especially when I was captain of the team. So I tried my best to, to watch training sessions so when I was back in, I knew sort of what was going on. Um, I travelled with the team to games. I wanted to be around as much as possible to take as much information from him as I could, even though I couldn't train and play. I wanted to get a feeling and for what he wanted. So when I was fit, I sort of knew and understood exactly what, what was needed. So yeah, I travelled to all the games. And sit in the stands and then I'd watch training as much as I could. Obviously got my own rehab plan as well. And is that a bit of self-preservation, like I'm here, I'm gonna be around, I'm
0: gonna <laughs> Probably. stand I'm gonna stand gaffer, two feet from you at all times to remind the, you that I'm the captain.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the gaffer looking back was a bit like, like <laughs> yeah. haven't you got rehab to be doing? Like, why are you here? Sort of thing. You know, you know, he's thinking, Yeah, why why is he? But I think he he understood that there was probably a little bit of insecurity there from me. But
0: even that is um, great management, like, yeah. to
1: allow you to feel that he understands that.
0: I mean, I, I guess there was one-to-ones as well. Do you remember what was said in those early on?
1: Yeah, no, Jürgen's great. It was always been great on one-to-ones, you know, always makes you feel good um, and you feel as though it's genuine and he's, and he's being honest as well. So, yeah, every time I'd speak to him, it would be fine and great and it would be like, can't wait to get you back in and, and things like that but then I might not see him for a few weeks because I'm not training you know I'm on a different schedule to everyone else so it was difficult at that period um, in time and like I say it took probably a bit of time for me to then come back get proper fitness and get going from there which probably was after his first well not full season but first season he came in.
3: Now dressing rooms especially at sort of the elite level that you're operating in can be pretty brutal places where like you're feeling somebody out, you're looking for that weakness. What was the moment when with Jürgen that you realised that he'd been tested and you thought this fella's the real deal here? Was there a particular incident or anything that stands out for you?
1: I think you felt that from what you did at Dortmund. Right. You know, and what he already achieved and the we was, you could sense that straight away. That's what I'm saying. There was never any doubt for me really looking back there, was, there wasn't there was doubt from the dressing room from the players and he was very very demanding and intense um, and at times it was a bit like I can remember when he first came one of the first things he changed was normally for all our most of our career um, up until that point we'd just train in the morning you know it'd be like come in for like nine thirty, ten 10 or whatever training at 11 half 11 um, but we are training at like afternoons and times that, like if we're playing on a night game, then we train later on the day. So maybe if it, if, it, if it was a night game at half seven, we wouldn't train at half seven, but we'd train closer to that, that time to sort of get the body ready for that time of playing, which actually when you think about it, sort of, <laughs> sort of makes sense. So we started training at maybe four, five o'clock at some times. Well, those creatures
3: of habit? Were they like well, moaning? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. A- so
1: at that time, it's a little bit like, Four or five o'clock training. So you're coming in, and you've sort of had a full day, and then the lads were coming in and they felt a bit lethargic. Or they felt a bit tired, and especially at this time of the year. Now you know, four or five o'clock, it's getting dark. So you're going out, the floodlights are on, and you're just starting to train. So it about like, this is this is tough. So anyway, the lads pulled me, a few of them, and said, "Listen, do you think like four or five o'clock could we not have it earlier?" and like, as captain, I felt as though like, I needed to at least ask the question. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to go up and, and, and speak to the gaffer. So I went up to the gaffer and I said, Gaffer, I said, a few of the lads are struggling with these late training times, um, feel a bit tired and, and stuff. And is there any way we could sort of train in the morning? And he sort of looked at us and said, Who said that? Who's mourning about it? And I, and I thought I can't, I can't see any names. here. I can't be chucking people, I can't <laughs> be chucking people under the bus. So I said, well, there's quite a few gaffer, and that's why I've sort of come because there's only one or two, obviously, but there's quite a few that I think earlier training. Uh, and he's just gone. Well, tell them if anybody's got an issue with training time, tell them to come and tell me and speak to me directly. So I thought, oof, okay. That, that's the last time I ever go and ask for anything like that again. <laughs> so I walked out and gone to the lads and gone, you've got no chance. But if you want it that badly, just go and speak with him yourself. Well, no and way, they didn't. No one ever went on. <laughs> see, <No. laughs> see but
3: the reason I asked John is that, like, again, looking from outside in, I, I, th- I was always intrigued by some of the decisions that he made early on where, you know, he let people go out on loan and left himself short at times, whether it was in defence or, he, you know, like he made some decisions that I think were setting down the, the standard of you put the team above your self-interest, this this kind of discipline and things like that. And that's what I'm interested in, how he laid down the marker like the training times, whether there were other incidents where he thought, this fella's not going to compromise here. We have to get on board with his ways, not the other way around.
1: Oh, that was that was like that from from first minute, yeah. Yeah. It, it, there was no comment again that that being the perfect example of trading time there was just no way it was this is the way we're going to do it because I know this is what works and I know by doing it this way we'll become successful and if you don't want to do it that way then there's the door really and it's did he do that, that with that. players yeah did he show them the door? yeah I think so I think if players didn't particularly like it or they couldn't really cope for whatever reason then I think the gaffer at the beginning always said that if a player wanted to leave he would never stand in the way and I think straight away that sets the mark tone to think even even for me it's like oh okay like I remember being linked to other clubs and it wasn't a complete shutdown at that moment which again plays on your insecurities a little bit but Looking back, that's him setting the tone as if to say, you know, I know what his success looks like. And if you're not on board and you want to go elsewhere, then no problem. But this is the way we're doing it. And get on board. And to be fair, majority, if not everyone, get on get on board pretty quick. Because, like I said, he's really impressive. What he'd done before at Dormant and Mines and the we played you you knew that if you got on board, then you got a good chance of being success, successful. And that's what, that's ultimately what you want as, as players.
0: I always think it's easy to judge someone when they're successful because they're doing well, right? I'm very interested in what people are like when the success doesn't come. So what was he like in that first season when you lost the, Europa League final and you lost the Carabao Cup final and do you remember that there was then that narrative wasn't there again people like me probably responsible for it in the media about Jurgen Klopp doesn't win finals do you remember that conversation that people were having so I'm interested from the inside how he dealt with all of you to keep you believing brilliant totally
1: different to what I've ever experienced and what you probably think he would deal with it as like like but the perspective that he thinks about them things is incredible I can remember losing the Europa League final and that was the second final, losing I think that year. I'm going back to the hotel where if we're won, there'd have been a party and all of that sort of stuff. And as a player, you're just so down, it's the big moment, you know, European final, lost. You just want to go to bed, really, and just try to just sleep, get up, go back in the morning. But I can remember there was like a few of us just sitting in the corner just cause he basically said, everybody, uh, when we get back, everybody's down to the reception bar area We're thinking, right, okay. So everybody comes down and a few of us are just sort of sitting in the corner with sort of our tears between our legs thinking like, oh, what are we doing here? Like, again, just different, um, mentality of we've just lost. We just want to, but, he sort of seen it the complete opposite. Um, come over and said, "Are you going to be like this all night? Like, why are you so miserable?" And, and really? like, gaffer, we've just and he was like, "Oh well, yeah, bad moment, but that's when you stay together. That's when you need everyone together." And and also, by the way, this is just the beginning. This is just the start. So, that's so what he says. Yeah, and then by the end, he basically went, "I want you all on the dance floor by the end of the night." And we're singing We Are Liverpool. He's singing We Are Liverpool and everybody's singing, We Are Liverpool. What and did that do for you? That completely, my, my mind was, was like, "What? Like, this is like just totally different than anything that I've ever experienced before. And, and, and to think like that, so close to losing a big game, give me definitely so much confidence to think he's so confident that this is just the beginning. He's singing. Like he's... This we've done. He obviously looked at it, we've done so well to be able to get to the final from, he's only started maybe seven, eight months ago, to he could see the signs of improvement and he knew it would continue in that way if we carried on doing what we've do, been doing and he knew he need, needed everybody together to be able to do that. So actually, in the end, I think as players, you took a lot of confidence from actually, well, this is just the beginning. Yeah you know and i think that was a big moment looking back it's a big moment when was it when
0: he texted you to say we'll go again what was that after
1: that was it was it wasn't text it was um i think what you were referring to, was that after we lost in to madrid in kiev yeah. champions league final yeah so that was the year before we won the champions league final and again in difficult moments he, he, that's when he he's really really good you know, yes, he's very emotional and he, on the sideline, he's very animated and stuff. But actually, in the dressing room, he's not He's not like that when the game's on. You know, when he's speaking at half-time, he's very clear on what he's saying. He's not shouting and he's not... Mo- he's very clear and you can understand exactly what, what he wants. And it's the same after games or after big moments, big defeats, that the perspective that he has and he knows that ultimately it's just a blip or bump in the road, you know, and it can, you can use it to, to be stronger. And every time we've had one of them, he's always dealt with it in the best way. And we've always responded. What did in he do after Kiev for you? Kiev was the one where it was like, don't worry, we'll go again. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, I don't think many people at the start of that season would, would said that team would have got to a Champions League final. Um, and I think he could see the bigger picture of that, but when you're a player, you know it's the end of the world you know he's a dream of playing in the champions league final you never quite know if you're ever going to get to play in another one you know how difficult it is to get there so it's the end of the world but so close after the defeat to say don't worry we'll go again and again people can just see that but when he says it it's there's a genuine belief and you feel that from him
0: look what he said after the, the defeat in paris when live on the telly five minutes after when he's being interviewed he said book your hotels in Istanbul <laughs> and obviously you're getting the same messages. And I, th- I tell you what I think is interesting about this, right? Is if, if when you lose a final and a manager comes around and goes, you didn't perform, you didn't deliver, you let us down and you go back, even if you then go back, right. And get into another final a year later in that final, you're, you're looking at the manager thinking you threw me and the rest of the lads under the bus and blamed us a year ago. So when we win, we'll win for us. We won't win for you. What you've just described is a manager creating a situation where 12 months or 24 months later, you are desperate to win for you, of course, but you're looking at that manager thinking used to buy me and protected these players when we lost. So now when we win, this is, this is for you as well.
1: Definitely.
3: Well, there's, I mean, there's interesting research on this from, there's a guy called Daniel Kahneman. He's like a Nobel prize winning psychologist. And he looks at how your memory works and, this is why it's intriguing talking to you about Jurgen because there's three things that he says your memory will throw up. So when we ask you about Jurgen Klopp, you'll think about the first meeting you you had with him, which he said the charisma, the you knew you were onto something. The last occasion you'd met with him, whatever whenever that would have been. But the time that stands out is how he dealt with the, the, the times when emotions were at their highest, whether that's the crushing disappointment of a defeat or the elation of a victory how he behaves in those moments actually gives you defines him in your memory and what you're describing is he was exactly the same after those victories winning the Champions League as he was after yeah the I defeating. probably I probably don't
1: remember the victories and how he was because everybody's just celebrating everybody everything's great you know it's yeah but you're right in the tough moments you do remember them clearly and it stood out to me because it was completely different to anything I'd ever yeah Experienced in my life before, and the way that he thought about things was totally different. So that helped me massively in terms of my thoughts and my mentality. Because after a defeat on a weekend, never mind a Champions League final, I, I'd stay in the house for two or three days. I didn't want to go. I was so to change that for me was was huge, really.
0: Brilliant. We're going to move on to our quick fire questions now and I'll wrap this up. One last question, though, before we move on to these. It's an interesting dynamic manager and captain. Yeah. So when you have a manager as charismatic and as brilliant at conversing and getting to people's hearts as well as their heads as Jürgen is, what's your role in this manager-captain relationship? What are you like at halftime? How are you the day before a game or on the coach heading to a match?
1: I don't like to think about it too much because I'm just me. Right. Ultimately, um, what I would see is that Jürgen helped us a lot in terms of dealing with the captaincy. I think there was a lot of pressure when I took over as captain, taking over from Stevie, who was arguably Liverpool's greatest ever player um, and captain. So, tough boots to fill. What um, did he say to make that easier for you? I knew from the outside that the perception would be different, but again, coming back to the innocent self-belief, I knew that I was the right person to lead the team, and I felt as though I could lead the team, which is why I took roll on if I didn't and I would have said actually not the right time choose somebody else but I felt as though I was the right person and I could do it in the way that that's my way Um, and i had been given captaincies when I was younger so I always felt that there was leadership qualities within his anyway which is why I'd been asked in the first place so there was definitely a self-belief inside again but I knew from the outside that it wouldn't be the same you know you've got Steven Gerrard like I said, one of the greatest players of all time. Then handing the captaincy down to Jordan Henderson.
0: Down or across?
1: <laughs> well, down at the time, I would, I would say, um, from a lot of people's view. But yeah, I knew that that was going to come. And I knew I needed to deal with that as best I could. Um, and that was that was difficult, you know. That was hard, you know. A lot of criticism, a lot of. It's easy to jump on the bandwagon at, at that moment in time, and again, things like that make made us stronger. But when Jurgen come in, I can remember him saying that I take too much on my shoulders, too much responsibility as captain. I need to delegate things more, relieve us a little bit more, and actually just focus on what's best for for you to help the team. So he helped us a lot. He still does. He's helped us a lot, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch and how I am as a person uh and um and how I am as a leader really. He's really, really helped us in, in, in that sense. Um and that's helped us grow in the person I am today and he'll still he'll still do it now. If I do something wrong and he doesn't quite like it, I'll be in the office and he'll say, Nah, we don't you can't do that. You can't and, and I've learnt things over time. Actually, yeah, I didn't realise that that could be can you maybe taken. One of the best examples probably is when I'm not playing. I can take it per, not personally, but I, as a player, you always want to play. So when you're not playing, that can be really, really difficult. And there's been moments. Again, I've improved this a lot. over the, I'm still still improving, but I've improved it a lot since since the gaffer first came in. Um, where you're not playing, it's how how you react and again for me if I wasn't playing I'd be taking that as somebody's doubting us again and I would go sort of in my shell and think okay I'm not in the starting 11 I'm not playing okay I I need to prove them wrong and that can come across differently especially when you're captain of a team you know you've got to react differently in them situations because if other players are looking at you and seeing that you're not quite reacting in the right way um, for the team or in in certain situations, then they're going to maybe follow that when it happens to them. And it was never a bad situation, but it was something that he felt as though I could improve on. I wasn't playing, then deal with it as best you can. And I think as players in general, it's so difficult when you're not playing, especially yes when you're injured, but when you're fit, it can be even more difficult because you're ready, you're fit and you're not playing as much as you like or you're not starting and it's about trying to deal with that and respect the t- your teammates which luckily we I've had an am- amazing teammates over the past that, that do that but you still have this anger inside you where you want to prove them wrong to say well, I'm not starting this one but it, I need to make sure that he can't leave us out again and I think a lot of the lads and a lot of players use that anywhere when they're not playing.
3: See a nice bit of feedback for you was when we had Gareth Southgate uh, on the podcast and Gareth spoke really glowingly about you as one of his cultural architects. He spoke about you and Harry Kane as setting standards in the group and welcoming people and creating a culture where people felt they could come and be themselves and thrive. So what one piece of advice would you give to somebody listening for this about how you can set the tone like whether you're a leader or not, whether you're in the team or not, what you can do to create a culture where people can thrive in their own worlds?
1: I would say leading by example would be giving absolutely everything, every single day, not just when things are going well or you might be in a good moment or doing it for a few months. and It's got to be every single day, you know, and I've lived, breathed football all my life. That's all. I've loved for uh, many years. So I take it very seriously and I want to be the best that I can be. So by doing, listening to people like my managers, my coaches, my teammates, doing extra work on the training ground in the gym to ultimately be the best person I can be, which then ultimately helps the team become successful. And, And also one of the biggest things when I took the captaincy on was being somebody who my teammates could rely on and come to with absolutely anything, I wanted to be there for them for for absolutely anything that whether it was off the pitch, on the pitch, and they felt a trust and like I say, somebody that I could look to and and rely on and go to to with with certain things. Um, that was a big thing for me when when I took the captaincy to on, and it still is now. You know, I still try to help as many players as possible, teammates, Liverpool, England, try to pass on my own experiences that's happened in my career so far. But at the same time, I'm still learning as well. You never stop learning, I don't think. You can always learn all the time. I learn from other players. I learn from my managers. I basically dedicated when I took the captaincy on to, to the team and they're the most important thing. most important thing to me is the players and my teammates. And um, I've dedicated yeah, all of that off-the-pitch stuff and on the pitch to, tr- to try and help them. Right. Quickfire questions. Are you ready for these? Not really. I'm not good at these, mind.
0: Come on now. Never been quickfire for now. me, but let's um, try. What are the three non-negotiables that you and the, the people around you need to buy into? Oof. Hard work.
1: Togetherness. Is nice. that one? Unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and respect.
3: What's your biggest weakness and what's your greatest strength?
1: I think one of my biggest strengths can actually be one of my biggest weaknesses because one of my biggest strengths I would say is helping other people or trying to help other people. And that can be my biggest weakness because I take too much on for other people, which can have a negative effect at home, you know, family life. And I know that because my wife tells us all the time that I'm sometimes never there. I'm there in person, but mentally I, I'm not. I'm always thinking about football or something that's happened or, or stuff like that. So I'm always thinking about how I can help at work or football, um, which can take a lot away from from my family, which is a big weakness for me And trying to balance that really, I would say. What advice would you give to a teenage Jordan just getting going in his career? not to worry about stuff as much or not to care about stuff. That's not important Hmm. as much There's a lot of stuff. Again, looking back when I was doing the book, that there was stuff where I'm thinking, like, why am I even worried about these things? Um, but little things I do think about and, and I do. So I suppose, again, that's part of who I am, but it can have a negative effect. Um, so try not, which I'm trying to do now. After writing the book, is try to not worry and get wrapped up in certain situations when when you don't need to.
3: If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why?
1: Champions League final. Um, well, I've said that too quick because I'm thinking about football. Um, obviously, when my kids were born was the most special day of my life. I got three, so I've got. So we'll we'll just put that to the side because. I think everybody who has had children will understand what that feeling is like. But for me personally in my career would be Champions League final. Everything to get to that point, dreams, hard work, dedication, sacrifice, failure, everything that went along with that to get to that moment made it even better really. So definitely I'd, I'd go back there. It's great. And the final question, your, your one
0: last message, really, for people listening to this, I often, I often like to think of this as maybe something that you tell your kids, right, for the life that they're going to live. What is your kind of one golden rule for people listening to this, for living a high performance life, your, your kind of final message, really, for what you'd like people to think and,
1: and do? I think we've spoke about a lot about mental health, haven't we? And I think that's so big in society now. I don't always speak about mental health a lot, but I think everybody suffers and goes through bad moments in their life Mm. and it's how you deal with them moments and i think looking back i was very lucky to have the people i had around us the people that came along to help us deal with them moments and um and other people aren't so lucky to have have them people around so i would say for them people to reach out to anyone if they are struggling, if they are going in a in through a bad moment, not to feel like you're burdening other people. And if you do feel like that, I would say speak to people that is outside the circle, which really helped me yeah. massively. Sometimes I'll go for breakfast or to the coffee shop and I go to the same place all the time. And there's a guy who is 90 called Walter and he sits on the table next to his, like a lot of time. And, um, we'll have some just, conversation about anything and everything and um after i've had the chat i just feel so much better i don't know why i just i feel really good that i can just speak to somebody so if you feel as though you haven't got somebody that comes to your head that you can speak to even if you just go to a coffee shop or go somebody somewhere and speak to a complete stranger about anything it can help that's brilliant what a great way to end you know what, that's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for giving us no, so you. much
0: of your, Thanks for the time. your precious time. You know, there's two things that stand out for me, right? I think the first thing is you've come to the realisation that life is a team sport. You yeah. know, I think of like a 17-year-old Jordan Henderson who thinks, I can conquer the world on my own. I'll win the trophies. I'll be successful. And even when you were struggling at Liverpool, didn't speak to your wife because it was up to you to deal with your problems. And I think you've realised, like many elite people have, that actually you have to talk, you have to share, you can't solve all your problems on your own. The other thing that's really sort of stood out to me from this conversation, you know, as well as realising you need other people around you is that like nothing comes for free. And I think you, as you come towards, not at the end, obviously, but as you come towards the end of your career, you're going to have to learn to be really kind to yourself because you're no longer going to have football to, uh, to judge yourself against. Did I win three points? Did I play really well? have I helped that young player you know you're gonna not be able to judge yourself with those metrics so the only way to do that is to realize that actually you may well struggle again yeah but that's what happens you've had the amazing highs yeah but then other things can come your way as well nothing comes for free and the intensity that you've spoken about a lot in this conversation by the way that is the reason why you are a Premier League Champions League Liverpool captain because of the intensity it, it might not be nice sometimes, but without that, you don't get everything else.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wish you the very best in the future, man. No, thank you very much. Thanks for the time. Damien. Jake.
0: What an interesting individual and what an enlightening conversation.
3: I loved it. I think like you say that, that we only start to change perceptions one conversation at a time. And I think Jordan was open. He was vulnerable. He was incredibly honest. I think it was a real privilege to listen.
0: Mm. And I I love what you say about that changing of perceptions, because I think you look at professional footballers and think, well, they're talented, they get well paid, they have it easy. You know, let's chart his history. I mean, you know, he, as an only, your parents divorcing when you're an only child breaks up the only stability you have in your world, right? Then you can't talk about your issues because you look at your parents dealing with their own problems, so then you internalise everything. Then the grandparent you do share things with passes away. Then you get the move to the biggest, one of the biggest clubs in the country and the scrutiny and the pressure and the manager saying he might sell you, lead you down a path of real psychological turmoil so you go and seek help. And then you play in major finals and competitions and you don't win them. And then you get a captaincy and people question whether you're the person that deserves that. Look at all of those moments in his career where he has had to lean on his resilience. That's the truth about Jordan Henderson, someone who has not just been successful, but he's been successful in spite of constant setbacks and knockbacks. And if people can learn one thing from his story, it's that if you can get through those things, great things await you.
3: Yeah, definitely. Although what I did love about Jordan's message, was the humility to say, you know, the last comment of I'm still learning, I'm still improving. And I think he would say that he did that, which is a great testament to his resolve, but he could have made it easier for himself by being prepared to open up to what he perceived as selflessness, was actually selfish in many ways, of not wanting to burden people, where the people that loved him, like he recognized they wanted him to come and talk to them and share with them. And I think that's the powerful message that we can all be strong, often stronger than we think we can, but actually we don't need to do it alone. It's like like you said, life is a team sport.
0: It's a really good point and I just hope that not too much of his self-worth right, is wrapped up in being the Liverpool captain and being a footballer because you know, I go to football matches with former players and you can see that it's a total affront to their ego when they have to show their pass. Like you go into right. Old Trafford and Anfield and Stamford Bridge and the Emirates with legends of those clubs and the security saying where's your pass and they can't go in the tunnel because they're not allowed and they can't go in the dressing room and they can't walk on the pitch. And, you know, they are constantly having to reset what what, and who they thought they were. And that's I hope that all the experiences that he's been through equips him for life outside of football, because actually that's possibly more important.
3: Yeah, I would. I, it's funny you say that, because I was thinking about and reading his excellent book, where football seems to have made life better. So him and his dad bonded over playing football when he was at the academy at Sunderland, you know, when his dad had that horrific diagnosis football made things better in terms of for his dad's recovery but like you say that's not always going to be there and I think for Jordan to recognize that you don't need football football's the crutch you can make things better by talking to people being decent being humble working hard at whatever we do they're the characteristics football just is the vehicle for it it's not the means to an end
0: thanks for your time bro
3: loved it mate thank you
0: Man, I love that conversation. Can I just remind you that if you head to thehighperformancepodcast.com, you can go even deeper with us. You can join our High Performance Circle. It's totally free if you want to do that. You can also watch this conversation with Jordan and all our other guests on our YouTube channel. You can order our books. You can get tickets for our live tours. Everything is there. Thehighperformancepodcast.com. As always, this podcast doesn't exist without you sharing and spreading and talking about the conversations here. So please continue to do that. Just send this to one person that you think will benefit from the things that Jordan talks about today. Thanks as well to Finn, to Hannah, to Will, to Eve, to Gemma, to Callum, to the whole team. But most of all, thanks to you. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, empathetic, and we'll see you soon.